0: Hi, I'm Rolling Stone executive editor, Nathan Brackett, and welcome to Rolling Stone Music Now. Today, we're going to hold a debate with a lonely music journalist making the case for why the compact disc still deserves to exist. We're also going to take a look at the response to our special David Bowie issue. But first, to kick off our usual What Are You Listening To? segment, we're going to take a deep dive into the new Kanye West album, The Life of Pablo. I'm speaking to Record Reviews editor, Simon Vazic-Levinson, who's calling in from a secret location staff writer Brittany Spanos, and contributing editor Rob Sheffield. Rob, you just wrote a review of the new Kanye West record. How does this fit into the scheme of Kanye West records? I feel like every Kanye West record changes something in his music and in music in general. Can you say the same thing about this one? I know it's early days.
1: Yeah, it's early days, but it doesn't sound like any of his other records. And he made a record that he was sure would not be measured against the standards of his previous records. You could also tell this is the first record by a rap superstar in the aftermath of To Pimp a Butterfly, the Kendrick right. Lamar album. And you could tell he's making an album without any major statements. He's very eager not to be measured against that standard. I think we're going to be right. seeing a lot of that this year with all the people who last year said, no no way am I releasing an album the same year the Kendrick's album comes out. Right. And I think we're going to be yeah. seeing a lot of that this year when people get around to making their first post-Kendrick album, there's going to be a certain amount of numb confusion. What do I do now? (laughs) Right,
0: right. You said something. You finish your review with a line that I'm going to read. You say, Pablo doesn't go for any grand musical or emotional statements on the level of Bound 2 or Runaway or Hey Mama. West just drops broken pieces of his psyche all over the album and challenges you to fit them together which I just thought was, like, spot on. I mean, because this is a it's, a, it's a fragmented record. Like, I hear, like, different albums over his career, like, songs that recall, like, one recalls a graduation, like, Ultralight Beam actually sounds a little bit like Dark Twisted Fantasy Yeah, totally. to me. Like, FML sounds a little bit like 808 and Heartbreak. Yeah. To me, I think famous actually sounded a little bit like it could have been from graduation. So in a way, it's like him like pulling together all these different parts of his life. But it's also a really deep psychological record. He's really looking at himself.
1: Yeah, a really pained record. Right. And a record by a guy who feels obliged on some level to be jolly in a funny mood all the time, be right. wacky, zany Kanye. And you can tell that he doesn't have his heart in that at all. Right. On this record, which is why the comic funny parts of the record don't work at all. The right. really pained confessional parts do. Right. And you can hear a lot of pain and confusion just in, in- – the musical surfaces of the record
0: right like even like one of the funnier moments the the song about all the many different kanye's yeah which we could play for a minute
2: i miss the old kanye straight from the gold kanye chop up the soul kanye set on his goals kanye i hate the new kanye the bad mood kanye is <laughs> uh
1: is actually i mean there's the- like some sadness there too i mean uh, totally totally I love- simon had a great point that this is his white album
3: Right, this album, you know, it's a mess. It's all over the place. It had this sort of long, drawn out, fraught recording session. Um, but there's ultimately there's a kind of beauty in the mess.
0: Totally, totally. And I, I was like, actually that song, the many Kanye song, made me think of like Stardust Memories a little bit, where it's like Woody Allen thinking, <laughs> like right. everybody wants to hear the old funny yeah, Woody, see right. the old funny Woody. Yeah. <laughs> Brittany, how does this stack up for you in the in the, the scheme of Kanye West records?
4: It's interesting because it's grown on me more every day and I feel like that's happened with a lot of Kanye albums like there are certain albums where I'm just like immediately like like Jesus I really liked right away but right. I didn't like 808s and Heartbreaks for, until right literally last year right it took a long time to grow on me and um I well, feel, Jesus
0: was like so front-loaded too like yeah skinheaded like immediately you're like oh my god like, for yeah, sure
4: yeah I mean like 808s didn't really when I was listening to it that wasn't music that I w- really wanted to listen to at that time and then I feel like in the past year I've been like oh like this album's right. great and right. um I feel like a lot of the songs I didn't like when I first watched the title stream and I when I was listening to it there and that was also like a very disconnected way of listening to it. Well, yeah, album but we're too. To, you're talking about like the
0: title stream of his fashion show yeah. slash listening session at mm-hmm. Madison Square Garden. I was actually yeah. there for that. And even, I mean, it was just a strange experience to listen to a record in general. Yeah. I mean, in a huge a boom with a huge boomy system. I think yeah. a lot of people had problems with their title stream too. So they were listening mm-hmm. to it on like 240 gigabytes, <laughs> suboptimal <laughs>
4: listening conditions. It's really interesting how. It's evolved just in the last, like, less than a week that it's been out. And I really loved the last half of the album from FML to Fade, really fits together really well yeah. to me. And I feel like the first half of the album is a lot of experimentation. And I mean, Ultra Light Beams is probably my favorite song from it. But I'm really obsessed with that last half of the album. Yeah. And it's really been something that stuck out to me. And it's interesting to well, see it, music by Kanye the Dad. Too. It feels
0: like, kind of, on the last half of the album, he's like taking it. Down a little bit and mm-hmm. making it a little more specific about smaller things in his life and his yeah. psyche too. I think like Real Friends has been out for a little while, but it's such a like a it's a, really is like a sweet small song about mm-hmm. how he relates to his relatives and he's so good at that. And I think often you forget about that with Kanye. Like he, there's so much of his bluster and this grandiose side to him that he does have such an incredible. Ear for detail and is so good at those little songs.
1: I love how he has Ty Dollar sign give give the best line. I, I don't really care about the fam. I'm just here for the yams. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of moments in the record, it's like where Kanye has someone else say what Kanye is thinking but doesn't want to think. Mm-hmm. And there's a Absolutely. lot of that Young Thug in highlights or. or the weekend and FML, be Absol- a yeah. someone else say like the sort of the the evil Kanye sitting on the shoulder parts. And- Absolutely. And
0: like, he, I don't think he gets enough credit for that either, like, of like putting people on and bringing out the best out of everybody who comes onto his records, going back from like, you know, to Nicki Minaj, yeah. to, you mm-hmm, know, when sure. a monster, you know, he's, he's just such a, he's almost like a band leader.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Brittany, I, lo- I love what you said about it being a really backloaded record because mm-hmm. to me, it almost like has a old school side one and side two. Yeah. And yeah. Side one is where he's kind of figuring out what he's going to do. And in side two, it's just one really open, raw song after another.
4: Yeah. And it's interesting, like, especially with, it feels like I miss the old Kanye. is like the end of side one of the album. Totally. And it's right. like, um, like you guys had said, this kind of, it's funny, but it's also a little bit dark in how it's like, I miss the old Kanye. I miss how it used to be. And then it gets really dark with FML. And, yeah. I like FML reminded me of mine by Beyonce and this like really strange, like inside look at a really famous marriage. And when on Beyonce where she's like, you know, the baby changed us. And then FML is like, I'm afraid I'm going to cheat because then I'll lose everything. And it's really intense to have this inside look at the psyche of this really like one of the most famous couples right now. And to have Kanye be really this honest about like, I'm genuinely concerned about how I'm going to act and, this marriage is really interesting too to explore on the rest of the album as well. before I
2: let you go, one last thing I need to let you know. You ain't seen nothing crazy then. Remember that last time in Mexico? Remember
0: Whether you like love Kanye or you don't, there's no one who like takes you into his life with his music or makes you feel like you know him in in the, in the same way that he does. From mm-hmm. from and I feel like that's why so many people have like such strong opinions about him. I mean, there's no one who who takes you into his, his his brain in the same way, I mean,
1: making music. I Can you think of anyone these days? I, the, the comparison with Beyonce's mind is so, so, so dead on.
2: Past my bedtime, no rest at the kingdom Alone in my
5: place, my heart is away All that I can think of is We
4: should get married we should get
1: I love that the last track, Fade, how he has this famous song that we all know by The Temptations or by Rod Stewart, but instead he samples the rare earth version of it. <laughs> <laughs> and right. he samples these really Midwestern sounding white guys singing the famous line that we associate with David Ruffin
4: and <laughs> right. Rod
1: Stewart with their rough voices. Your love is fading, fading, fading. I feel it fade, 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 fade When no one ain't around I feel it fade And I'm like, this is seriously how he wants to end his album? <laughs> this is really messed up. <laughs> this is really, it's right.
0: spooky
4: it's, I mean,
1: right, yeah. it's a totally typically brilliant touch.
0: Right, <laughs> right. Britney, what's what's one of your favorite songs?
4: Well, I love Ultralight Beams.
2: We on a ultralight beam We on a
1: ultralight beam This is a God dream This is a God dream this is
4: everything. Chance the rapper's contributions to the album overall is I mean when Kanye released the um liner notes for it I just like didn't realize that Chance had really contributed to about like 70% of the album with writing credits and it's incredible to see such a great young artist from South Side of Chicago, like Kanye, to have him contribute to this album is really special. And I mean, just that entire line that Chance has, I met Kanye West, so I'm never going to fail, is such a beautiful moment. And especially the way that Kanye always continues to work with Chicago artists and always continues to support them. And the way that for Chicago, he's such a big
3: coming another the underground come and follow the trail I made Sunday candy I'm never going to hell I met Kanye West I'm never going to fail you said let's do a good dads job with chance three I hear you got to sell it to snatch the Grammy. let's
0: make it so I see that as just like another example of like Kanye like bringing somebody mm-hmm. in at the moment when it just feels like they're having a moment yeah. too and like you know Chance the rapper is somebody like we've been following for a while you know mm-hmm. with Acid Rap a few years ago and the the Donnie Trumpet record this this summer and now he just feels so primed to make a great record yeah. and now he's working with Kanye and seems so happy to be there.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an incredible, you know, sort of passing of the torch moment. And I think it's it's worth noting, like you guys said, you know, people talk about Kanye's ego, but there's an incredible humility in giving Chance the Rapper not just a guest verse, any guest verse on the song, but the biggest spotlight on the opening song of the record. Mm-hmm. It's a really right. you know prime position. He lets Chance completely have
1: the spotlight. Right. It's, it's really like cool. the Nicki Monster verse. Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah exactly. Absolutely.
4: And on SNL, it was really cute to watch um, the way that they had the camera and when Chance did the Kanye line. And you see Kanye just beaming the entire time that Chance is doing the verse anyway. But when he says that line, you just see like this pride wash over his face that right. but like chance didn't come in just as like a protege. Like he came in as a peer and right. that's really special yeah. to see.
0: And that like contradicts this like popular image too of like Kanye West is this completely self-absorbed person. Like when you see him do that, it's just like yeah. an act of like artistic generosity too that mm-hmm. that shows a different side. Yeah. Of Kanye.
1: I don't even know what to make about this. When, when the credits came out belatedly and we found out that Drake wrote 30 hours, <laughs> yeah. okay, what is that about? <laughs> Okay, well, just to back up, thirty
0: hours is the actual the yeah. song that he wrote, like literally, like in the day before that the album the album <laughs> yeah. came out, which he is kind of after a amazing. He, after, the yeah. talks about Madison, after the listening session,
1: after the listening session, Madison Square Garden, <laughs> which is
0: just a crazy thing. We didn't really touch on this, but like this album does have this almost like mixtape feel. Like he yeah. approached this album almost like. It's not gonna be done until I actually press the button on right. title mm-hmm. for it right. to be released, which is kind of amazing. Might, but might, even then. It might be but,
1: different a week from yeah, now. We should, right. He's like, still fixing wolves. Right. right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> we're gonna update he's gonna iterate like Google or like but uh but Eddie Brittany, you you were yeah, we were talking about thirty hours.
4: I mean Drake is just, he is just the weirdest person. Like, he just finds a way to (laughs) insert himself into everything in such a weird, I mean, I love Drake. You know, I don't know how he does it, but he just kind of, like, finds a way, like, this is a really anticipated album. It was supposed to come out that day that he dropped 30 hours, but he just decided to drop 30 hours instead of the entire album. And then (laughs) Drake co-writes it, which is just the weirdest thing, but... I mean, yeah, I want to know what he contributed to it. I'm really curious to see. Drake like,
0: actually wrote it in the halftime of the celebrity <laughs> basketball yeah. game this weekend. <laughs> Win Butler was on the bench while he wrote it. Yeah. yeah.
1: I, I'm just like reading the credits. I'm like, Kanye, you know, th- it's parentheses. There are 30 names. For Kanye West, Aubrey Graham. And I'm like, whoa, 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 back up. <laughs> Hold (laughs) on.
3: Yeah. I will say 30 Hours is a very Drake-ish Kanye song. It has this kind of confessional quality. I think 30 Hours is this confounding wild song. I mean, you have, right, so Drake co-wrote it. You have Andre 3000 is there in the studio with Kanye – doesn't spit a verse, just sort of sings backup vocals. That's the sort of amazing like right. show of, of power. I, ha- I have one oh, of the greatest yeah. rappers alive here with me. He could rap, but he's not <laughs> right. just going to quietly like murmur along to an Arthur Russell
0: yeah. yeah. song. Yeah, Stevie Wonder off. was there too, playing the triangle. <laughs> yes, actually, exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah. Back, yeah <laughs> the, this joking, is like the Beach Boys yeah. song
1: <laughs> where they had Paul McCartney chewing vegetables. Yes, right. Oh, totally. yes, well,
0: yeah yes. Right. Well, well, you look at it too. I mean, like with Kanye earlier this year or last year with Paul Mm McCartney, I mean, he took a Beatle, and a Beatle basically was playing support for him and like humming some bars. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Chicago, St. Louis, St. Louis to Chicago. It's getting hot in here. That's all that I know. Got a hotel room, three stars for you. You call down for an omelet. Girl, it's five in the morning. You realize you got the...
4: 30 Hours, it's just like... He also takes like the phone call at the end of it, too. It's <laughs> just yeah. so weird, and it's kind of... It has that like rambly Drake-ness. I mean, like Drake just released Summer 16. And it has kind of that similar, just sort of... I'm just going to list all these things that are kind of going on right now in like my world and in what you see and all that
3: but Drake does like to put a voicemail on a song so maybe it was his mm-hmm. idea to put the phone
4: call in
0: Cherche la voicemail
1: exactly. <laughs> I used, to, used to call him on his cell phone like during the <laughs> love, anybody else like that phone call would sound like such a staged studio concoction and yet, I'm like, I really kind of semi-believe that he just forgot to turn his red on. I TV do. TV I TV. do, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that he, he just wanted to get this call, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. i got to take this.
0: Like, right. And I believe it was Gabe, his publicist, yeah. who yeah. we know we yes. know from the industry.
1: Who said, yeah. why are you taking this call? Right. Back the mic turn off your phone. Yes. Put me on Do Not Disturb. Yes. <laughs> just calling to wonder where the album is. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, we're going to switch gears now to another artist with an eye for detail in a very different way, (laughs) like kind of an incredible eye for detail. Courtney Barnett, who was nominated for Best New Artist at the Grammys, did not win, but won a Grammy in our hearts. (laughs) She's definitely a staff favorite. Simon, do you want to talk a little bit about this song?
2: Yeah,
3: so this song, Three Packs a Day, uh, originated kind of on a dare or a whim. Um, It's called Three Packs a Day. You might think it's about smoking cigarettes. It's not. It's about eating ramen.
0: (laughs) Which is so rock and roll is 2016.
3: I mean it's real it's relatable we've all been there in the kitchen waiting for the ramen to cook um, I think this is so typically Courtney Barnett that she's able to take something as mundane and typical and kind of boring as boiling ramen noodles in your kitchen and turn it into this perfect you know three minute nugget of pop it's amazing It's she has this real magical ability to do it.
0: Rob, you said something about like her lyric writing style about how it's almost like real time.
1: Yeah, you could you could picture her in the kitchen with the guitar waiting for the water to boil and strumming and making this song up and it lasts about the time that it takes for the ramen to boil. and It's, it's, it's almost like a real-time voice memo kind of commentary.
3: <laughs> yeah, totally. I think when you listen to a Courtney Barnett song, what you end up wishing is that she could just kind of like be there with you narrating your everyday life. Yeah. She would, she would yeah. make every boring moment so so awesome and so cool. Yeah.
4: yeah. Even yeah. her voice has that conversational sort of just, like, the way she sings, I mean, it kind of reminded they me. kind of
0: sing speaky. Yeah. yeah.
4: It's just very conversational and just, like, fun and relaxed the way that she sings it. And she's yeah. just like, I'm just going to sing about the ramen now. Like you said, like, <laughs> as it's boiling, I'm just going to narrate how, how it's going. But, yeah. Right. Right.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So three packs a day. All right, guys. Well, I think mean, that's it. Uh, I think we're going to wrap up what we're listening to now. Thanks. This is a big day at Rolling Stone Music Now. It's going to be our first debate. Recently, David Brown wrote a story for RollingStone.com called In Defense of the CD, which actually got a lot of feedback, got a lot of traffic on the site, a lot of positive comments. It's a tough position to take in 2016 to advocate for the CD, but David is going to take the side of the CD in a debate with senior (laughs) writer Brian Hyatt, who is going to argue the opposite side. Brian, you're a uh, bit of an audiophile. You're always good around the audience. for some tips on the latest way to make your iPhone sound better, uh, new headphones. Would you say that description's accurate? Sure, I'll accept that description. And David, I know you're a contributing editor, you don't work in the office, you're listening more in your home I've got stereo. no
6: tips from Brian whatsoever.
0: Yeah, so yeah. The, well, hopefully that, that pipeline will open up after this dialogue <laughs> has started. Anyway, I want to get this started. Both of you guys are going to be able to state your case, but I'd like to just jump right in with uh, David. First, talk a little bit about why you wrote this piece, and then why don't you just launch right into your lonely but passionate defense of the <laughs> compact disc.
6: It was completely unplanned. What happened was, right after David Bowie died, I started digging into his back catalog, like a lot of people did. You know, you really wanted to listen to his music again. And I brought up, you know, I have my little streaming device and decided to listen to one of his records and called it up. And for whatever reasons, uh, wireless connections, technical glitches, it was just turned into, like, a frustrating experience. The music wasn't coming up. There were all kinds of glitches, and I got so So frustrated. even the
0: way you actually say little streaming device implies a certain amount of contempt, but I'm going to let you well,
6: by little I mean it was a boombox. Uh, it was right. one of these nice. It wasn't like a massive sound system. That's, right. that's okay, what I meant. like. An Airplay speaker. I, 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 okay. Let me go on record saying I do like streaming. I like the convenience of it. I don't like right. carting around CDs. But that night it was so frustrating, and I really wanted to hear that record that I just said, oh, the heck with it." Although I think I used more stronger language than that, and grabbed my CD of Low and put it on my system, and it was a great experience. There were no glitches. It played. It sounded great coming out of the speakers. It was a reminder to me all over again of the good thing about that format, even though it's now incredibly
2: vilified.
0: Alright, if you were introducing a 12-year-old to the world of music, what would be your case? for the CD, I'd like like to hear this laid out. And and I just wanna say, I think we all give you a lot of credit in the sense that this is a hard argument to make in this year. Most people would say that the, the prospects for the CD are not looking good, but could you give us just a few words on like, you know, hey, Junior, here's a way to listen to this record that I recommend.
6: In my opinion, the sound is better than an MP3. I know my daughter listens to streaming things, either on headphones or on a little system herself, or even on YouTube and she's used to cruddy sound. So my argument would be like, why, wouldn't you want to hear this in a bigger, crisper, fuller sound than what you're dealing with right now? Now, if if that 12-year-old was like the way I was at that age and a developing rock geek, I would say, hey, wouldn't you want to know who wrote the songs or read liner notes or read the lyrics? Like, what if you want to know what they're singing and not just make up the words? A lot of times you'll find the lyrics in a CD packaging. So those are some of the arguments I would make for it.
2: Okay. Okay. I I, I think I'll go ahead and respond. Brian, (laughs) would you like to respond? (laughs) Yeah, I can see you're
0: at the edge of your seat right now. Yeah, literally.
2: No, I mean, (laughs) listen, I think the CD format, meaning the actual digital information contained on the CD, fully in favor of that. My preferred listening is actually through the much derided Tidal, which has full CD quality sound. It's identical, especially when you take your computer out through a DAC that is equivalent to what's in a good CD player. It's literally identical. Bob Ludwig couldn't tell the difference. It's exactly the same. Now, Brian, you're you're actually pretty old school with Tidal.
0: You actually subscribed to Tidal and were a fan before uh, Jay-Z was into into bought Tidal and, and, and before... Ninety-nine percent of the world became. Uh, I like
2: Jay Z was looking as like, oh, who's this one dude who <laughs> subscribed before? You know, this is amazing. He's got excellent taste. I should, I should, taste. Yeah, yeah, I, I I should invest guy. in this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the cognoscenti yeah. are listening to Tidal. But, and when I don't use Title, uh, I, I have you know I have Apple Lossless, which is also equivalent to CDs. I, I agree with you. That okay, MP3s just to explain fair, that yeah.
0: Apple Lossless files are. This is something you can actually.
2: Purchase for... No, no this is no, a you format, can, an Apple you, you format. Can rip a CD, yeah. You can rip a CD into Apple Lossless, which is identical. It's like a zip file. You don't lose any data. It sounds just... It's literally the same as a CD. Big fan of the data. Don't see any use whatsoever for that stupid little plastic disc. You mentioned that you were sad that a friend was going... That people were telling him to throw out his CDs. Yeah. I would say... You know, maybe also set them on fire. <laughs> would be my proposal. <laughs> but yes, I mean, but listen, you can. But first, if he really thinks that you know he doesn't want to subscribe to his title, he doesn't want to, whatever, he could rip all of them at Apple lossless, upload them to the cloud, have them backed up forever, and then he could burn his CDs um, because it's exactly the same thing. And I would suggest to you that you could plug so you have a wireless streaming device, and then you also have your stereo, and your stereo is only hooked up. Or to Or we CD might player. have to do an
0: explainer on yeah. RollingStone.com yeah. for this but, conversation. Yeah. But
2: anyway, he but. Could, but, but it's, 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 Short, you can hook up your computer to your stereo in like eight different ways Right. And you don't have to and some of them aren't even wireless that's right. all I would say but, right. uh, but you know listen I, I will say that when I spoke to Adele so, uh, last year she loves CDs she keeps them in her house it's an emotional attachment it's a nostalgic attachment and that is not really something you can argue with reading your right. piece honestly a lot of it was that right. you just like them and that's totally fine I
0: don't like them but you know I feel you I do see the emotional attachment to music as a physical object I see a lot of people you see or vinyl, which is you know, obviously we've all heard about how popular vinyl is, and, and vinyl is a lot more trendy these days, but I, I do see music fans buying CDs and vinyl just to show that they're fans. Would you say that's accurate? I think uh, yeah. the
6: physical lure of it, yeah, I, I back stuff up on the iCloud, but I really still want the physical thing. I don't necessarily trust technology. I don't want to upload all my things, and then what if something happens and I get rid of all my CDs, then what do I do? It's just That's just me and my, my paranoid thinking that if I give away all the CDs and upload them, it could still be lost, I, and I like having the physical thing, and I think a lot of people do too. I think there is still a lure to that. Although, as one reader posted on my story, you can't roll a joint on an iPod. So
2: <laughs> I think that's it's, a really important. Maybe the iPad to me. Pro, <laughs> maybe is But that? you know, Paddy Vedder said you can't roll a joint actually on a CD case either. He prefers vinyl. Oh yeah, so, right. so, I don't know. So maybe well, he needs to up his we'll have to so conduct something. that oh, experiment okay. yeah. uh, after hours. Gave yeah. fold
0: that yeah. they, uh, they came <laughs> out of. <laughs> I mean, I'd say maybe one other case, I'm David, I'm going to try and help you out a little bit here. Maybe another case would be like you could have a CD collection, which is your own private curated collection that you have in front of you and maybe right. is not limited to a screen. It's a different experience. Having CDs in front of you, if you actually like just having, and, and, it. yeah, and
6: if, and if you want to show people your taste and how cool you are, there's always that aspect, you know. People can't look at at your at your phone, right. that's so the Displaying story, all yeah. your CDs, people go, wow, look, just you've got impress. all those James Brown records. And, yeah, and people and that's are that's impressed by CDs vinyl. in
2: 2016. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but listen, this is why this is why kids especially have embraced vinyl for a few reasons, but for that need to have the physical object, the need to display your taste, and also the sense, unlike CDs, which can be precisely, again, duplicated without the CD format. Vinyl does have elements that are just irreproducible uh, other than on the vinyl. Um, so that is I think why people have chosen vinyl over CDs when they go to a, a physical
0: format. As the parent of a teenager I have seen my daughter get into CDs kind of through the back end in the sense that she became a vinyl fan first, bought some new vinyl at a record store and then saw that CDs were actually a little cheaper and actually sounded pretty good and or sounded better than vinyl which is kind of an interesting phenomenon. Uh, again it's like she's someone who buys CDs to show that she's a serious fan of a group. Right.
2: The only other argument is if you are buying the music, whether it's on CD or on vinyl or even, I guess, on iTunes, you are doing the artist a much bigger favor than if you stream it. So it's this hard thing where, as convenient as it might be, they get paid a lot less. So that's a right. factor as well.
6: Right. But it is interesting. Another thing that probably to write this, and Brian reminds me of, is is the vilification of the format was really interesting to me. You know, it's it's a normal part of the uh, sonic evolution that we've gone through, you know, uh, vinyl and cassettes and 8-tracks and, and CDs and now onto the the streaming and whatever else is next. And that's a normal process. And I think when the LP died, there were a lot of people myself included, who felt kind of nostalgic and sad about it. People, like in this case with CDs, There wasn't seem the same thrilled. reaction
0: to the CD. Yeah, yeah they seem like, right.
6: thank God that's going away. Now I can throw them all out. And that that's another thing that prompted me about the story. I didn't quite understand the hatred that well, a I feel lot of toward people, it. I think
0: a lot of old-timers associate the CD with the record companies selling them their entire record collection again. Right, it's become the like the one percenter
6: kind of medium. Like they see it, like it embodies corporate greed. I don't know. For I, a lot just, of people. I just,
2: never liked the CD, frankly. Like I never liked it at all. I liked cassettes better for sure Like I, because my CD, I didn't like having to, to, to baby them. I didn't like having to. I my were always getting scratched, and it's possible because I didn't. I didn't really enjoy the whole process. I got to put it back in the case. I would right. I was always like <laughs> have them stacked in this loose pile, and they'd always get scratched. So I, I was like right. waiting for them to die from the moment they arrived. So I, I guess I'm part of that. I'm really. I you I've had it out touched, for the CD from I've the
0: had get it out, go. i had I hate hate a CD. You're seeing your true
2: colors Oh Yeah, no, I'm one of those people. I hate CDs. I'm so happy they're dead. I haven't touched one since 2001, if I can help it. (laughs) All right. And
6: and another thing, just (laughs) all right, another argument is all the great (laughs) back catalog stuff that that came back onto the market or archival stuff that came out thanks to the CDs, when record companies realized, hey, we could make all this money, they not only – put out box sets, but they would find unreleased sessions. There were all kinds of great consequences of the CD
2: and I also. I love having all that stuff on streaming. And yeah. listen,
0: Adele and David Brown agree, and I think that's a that's yeah. a fine yeah, quarter you've to got be in. some good company. Yeah. David Brown, Brian Hyatt, thanks for your time. Thank you. Anytime. And we're back with our Reader Mail segment. I'm here with uh, Associate Editor Patrick Doyle, who uh, did a lot of the interviews for our uh, David Bowie tribute issue. Yes. Including a really wonderful interview with uh, Trent Reznor, really moving interview where uh, Reznor talked about Bowie's influence on him Mm -hmm. and how he helped Reznor with his drinking and Mm -hmm. and how he was such an inspiration. Uh, And also a Mick Jagger interview, which we played an excerpt from uh, a couple weeks ago on the podcast. I'm going to get right into uh, the response to these. Both interviews got a a really huge response online, and uh, I'm going to read some of the comments and emails we got. First on the Trent Reznor interview. This is from a uh, reader with the username Johnny Feathers. I'd been wondering where Reznor's reaction to Bowie's death was. Of all the musicians and celebrities who felt his influence and mourned his loss, I think Reznor did more to champion Bowie than anyone, and maybe single-handedly helped usher in Bowie's late period comeback mm-hmm. with the Outside tour and I'm Afraid of Americans.
5: Yeah, Trent talked about you know growing up and listening to Scary Monsters, and that was his favorite right. album, and he's, he called Bowie his the most important artist to him is shaped, you know, it from his as a composer to how he sort of presented himself to the world and created characters and absolutely and um, you can totally
0: see that in like Resner's early like the nine Inch nails kind of the theatricality of yeah. it and the sense of drama with our like their live shows especially. Yeah.
5: He said that at this point in Bowie's career, you know, the nineties were not his best years. You know, he had put out the outside record which wasn't doing that well. And, and so he Trent talked about the dilemma that he had where they
0: he said I, I don't want David Bowie to open for me. Absolutely. So. Like Bowie was obviously was still a, you know a huge icon mm-hmm. and had had huge commercial success in the 80s with Let's Dance, but he was at a kind of a commercial low ebb, kind mm-hmm. of more transitioning into being like a legend, you yeah. know, but not selling a lot of records. And so yeah, Reznor talked really movingly about you know the kind of the, the pickle he was in like okay, mm-hmm. I'm kind of commercially bigger than Bowie at the time, yeah. but Bowie, I can't have Bowie open for me. Yeah. Here's a uh, letter from, the username is Metapunk. Evidently, there is unreleased concert footage from the outside tour in 1995. I wonder if Trent would be open to allowing it to see the light of day, or YouTube at least.
5: I would love that. Um, I know it was pro-shot. I hope that someday that comes out because the footage is, is pretty incredible, especially the stuff they do together. And you know, Trent said that that was the best moment of his entire career, when, I think when he was doing Hurt with Bowie on stage with him singing a song that he wrote in his bedroom right. and to have David Bowie singing his own lyrics meant a a lot to him so I wouldn't be surprised if it came out sometime right
7: you know when asked at various points in my career you know what were the best moments or and it's all relative to who and who you were at the time and what was important to you but I mean the timeless a timeless one is you know, standing on stage and next to David and he's singing Hurt, you know, with me. Mm. You know, and I remember in the moment, which often, you know, I find that you're so in the moment, you're not in the moment in a sense. You know, it's happening, but you're kind of absorbed in this thing. At that moment, I was out of myself. Mm. And thinking, you know, I'm, I'm standing on stage you know, next to this guy that most important influence I've ever had, and he's singing a song I wrote. Mm. You know, I remember writing that in my bedroom, mm. and it, you know, it's just an, an awesome moment of um, oh, it's made me feel good,
0: you know, really good. Okay, remember the reader Gloria you, I'm really looking forward to this issue of Rolling Stone. I am only familiar with Bowie's popular song, so after his passing, I've been researching his music, reading articles about him, and watching old interviews online. I wish I knew of a definitive book I could buy about his life and career. Patrick, do you have any recommendations? Well, you just heard uh, Rob Sheffield. I, 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 he just finished yes, one. Our own Rob Sheffield um, has a book coming out in June.
5: Yes. There isn't one that I would say that's definitive, um, so I'm hoping that— you know, Rob started writing this book the night that I, we heard of David Bowie's death, and he—he, he, uh, David Bowie was the most you know important artist to him. So uh, in his you know, growing up, you know, so I think that he i mean he finished this book in a uh, record time.
0: Uh, yeah, Rob's book is going to be kind of uh, an appreciation which I think and it's going to be amazing knowing Rob. But what about like if uh Gloria is looking for like a definitive biography or at least something approaching definitiveness? There's
5: a book called Starman by Paul Trinka
0: which which was very helpful as far as when we were you know researching
5: our special issue and and uh, also Nicholas Pegg has a book called The Complete David Bowie which is more it's kind of like an encyclopedia of David Bowie, which if you're right. a hardcore fan, you know you can go down all kinds of different holes in David Bowie's career. So if you're obsessed with whether scary monsters or right. Woe or something, you can really sort of you right. know it's a big help. So I would right. I would say that right. that's my, well. There's yeah.
0: a, there's a few good tips for for Gloria. All right, All right. well, let's move on to the um, response to your uh, Mick Jagger interview. The Jagger interview was, uh, we played a little bit of it. It was kind of fun because he was talking about their experience recording dancing in the streets. Yeah. That video, which was kind of just a funny, like, 80s artifact. He said Uh, his kids make fun of him for that video all the time. That's funny. (laughs) All right, well, here's a letter from uh, Tim Obermiller. Mick was saying he loved Let's Dance because of the memories. I'm sure he doesn't consider it Bowie's best song. As for dancing in the streets, it was just fun, at least for me, watching them camping and vamping, stealing each other's moves. Based Mm -hmm. on mixed description, it sounds like a perfect summary of their relationship, and a sweet one, too.
7: Yeah, we walked in, and all the musicians were ready because we had to do the the recording and the video in one day, which is like, we said, well, this is never going to, you know, this can't possibly happen. And we just walked in and did like two takes of the musicians and walked out and went straight onto the set of the video and did the video and when we couldn't believe it when we we came to the end of the day we were so funny we said you see it can't be done <laughs> why are we spending you know years in the studio um but anyway no it was a great you know that that it was such a fun work thing when it was such a you know it was the only time it really cooperated on anything which is really stupid You think about but um but um um you know it was it was such a Good work thing, but it was also a great fun day, and we really enjoyed ourselves so camping up. And it was—it's hilarious to watch.
5: I think that that song, "Let's Dance," came on in the car before I talked to Mick, and I think that that was on his mind. Right. And it, I think it brought back some memories of them. In the '80s, really, which is when they got to know each other really well, hanging out in New York together. So that he talked about you know going to nightclubs, dancing, and right. hanging out together. And I think that that song reminded him of his personal connection to right. Bowie,
0: and, and it made per- it definitely made sense to me in terms of like what we know about Mick Jagger and that you know he's someone who loves the big stage and playing stadiums yeah. and arenas, and you know the, the Stones always are swinging for the fences. And "Let's Dance" yeah. was you know one of Bowie's hugest pop moments. So I'm yeah. sure, like, Jagger appreciated that.
5: Yeah, and Mick talked about the friendly competition that those two guys had together. You right. don't think that those people at that level sh- should even have competition. Right. You know, talking about hanging out and playing each other each other's uh, music from, you know, talking about the influence of Gene Genie on, right. uh, you know, the, the Stones' influence in Gene Genie. Right. Uh and you can hear in Suffragette City, the Stones. I mean, so Mick was, you know, thinking about their you know, influence on each other. And so, for sure. But Mick, yeah, he's always loved me. Start Me Up was a couple years before that. And I'm sure he wanted to absolutely have another big hit. And that was a tough period for the Stones,
0: too. So it's always interesting to hear, like, w- which rock stars are looking at which other rock stars. Because I yeah. think it, most fans don't think of it in that terms. I mean, there's mm-hmm. with a few exceptions, oh, the Beatles versus the Stones, or mm-hmm. maybe, you know, Kanye versus fifty Cent a few years ago or, right. or Drake. You know, there's a in hip hop there's a little bit more of that, but often fans don't really care. They just like what they like. You mm-hmm, know, but mm-hmm. you re- when you realize which rock stars or which pop stars are looking at which other ones, it's always fascinating.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that Dancing in the Street video is all done in the same day, the, the right. recording and the video shoot. Right. And Mick said that it's really stupid
0: that that's all they did together. Right, yeah. Yeah. I remember he said that last time. In a way, it kind of looks like it. I mean, it's definitely not the most memorable song either of them ever did. But I think we're all happy that it exists. Yeah.
1: Sure. <laughs> out
0: around the world. Are you ready for a brand new beat? OK, we're going to read a letter from Chris McKay. Mick forgot to mention David and he wrote It's Only Rock and Roll and Mick gave it to David. After Keith saw it, he told Mick, go back and steal that song back. David kindly gave it to Mick and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. I had forgotten that too. Yeah, it's a true story. Yeah. Um, Mick is not someone
5: who, you know, he doesn't like to look back. He's, you know, so he said that Interviews are his least favorite pastime, so he right. doesn't need some. Like I, I reminded him that you know Bowie did "Let's Spend the Night Together," and he had f- completely forgotten that. Which right. to some people is a you know one of Bowie's greatest covers, one right. of his greatest recordings. Right. But, but it just wasn't on mixed radar because he he kind of lives in the moment. Right. Um, right. So, For sure. Ever forward? Yes. Goes Mick Jagger. Yeah. 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 The best. But, the, the greatest part of that interview is when he didn't. You know, I asked him about the last time he saw David Bowie, and he
0: couldn't remember, and that seemed to really hurt for him right. you know right. Uh, right right absolutely well I'm, I'm happy that our reader chris mckay mentioned it's only rock and roll because i would certainly take that over the dancing in the streets cover with all due respect. <laughs> <laughs> all right well patrick doyle thanks for coming for our reader mail segment thanks nathan all right and that's rolling stone music now to read more about all the stuff we've talked about this week check out rollingstone.com or pick up the new issue of rolling stone